You are listening to the First Tech Podcast. These podcasts are designed for authorised financial advisors. If you're not an authorised financial advisor, it's important you understand the content of this podcast may be difficult to follow, as it assumes you have the necessary training, qualifications and experience to understand the concepts discussed as well as the technical language used. If you still decide to listen, please understand the information contained in this recording is general information only and does not take into account any of your personal circumstances, needs or objectives. Any scenarios considered during this podcast are purely hypothetical and for illustrated purposes only and do not constitute a recommendation to purchase, hold or sell any financial products or take any other course of action. Super recontribution strategies have been around for decades, but a number of recent and proposed rule changes potentially extend the benefits of this popular strategy. I'm your host, Craig Day, head of the First Tech team, and here to discuss the developments in this recontribution space is Tim Sanderson and Kim Guest, both senior managers in my First Tech team. Hey, guys. Hi, Craig. Hi, Kim. Hi, guys. How are you? Going well. Yep, good, good. Tim, uh, Tim, you're out of lockdown. We've still got, unfortunately, rather a long way to go. But anyway, this is never <laughs> we'll get ending. there eventually. Never ending, never ending barrel of fun. All right, so today we're going to be talking recontribution strategies. So these things, as I said in the intro, these things have been around for a while, but there have been a range of recent rule changes that potentially open up some new opportunities in the recontribution space. So, Kim, can you run us through what these changes are? Yeah, sure. So I guess um, the first one would probably be the extension of the bring forward rule. So um, we can now trigger the bring forward rule if our clients are under age 67 at any time in the financial year. Previously, that was 65. So that mm-hmm. just gives us another couple of years where we're actually able to utilise that bring forward rule um, if we're doing the recontribution strategy. And it makes it a bit easier because it used to be um, quite restrictive. If, we, if the person didn't meet the work test, you had to make sure you got it in in that year that they turned 65. Um, and now we've just got a bit more breathing room. We've got two more years where we can look to implement the strategy. Uh, another change is, of course, just the increase in the non-concessional caps. So now we can do 110000 a year or 330000 under the bring forward. Um, so that gives us a bit more that we can recontribute into super. And also, um, you know, the amount we can have as total super balance and still be able to make non-concessional contributions has increased. So now we can, um, as long as we've got below $1.48 million, um, at 30 June 2021, we're able to contribute, you know, up to the full 330000 under those bring forward rules. So those three things together, um, you know, have really kind of made it a bit easier to, to implement that recontribution strategy. Um, and, of course, we've got one more, which is um, downsizer contributions. So this is a really interesting one too, um, where we can um, make downsizer contributions. Of course, you have to sell your principal residence and meet all the eligibility criteria, but we can make downsizer contributions. And the, the ATO has recently clarified that, um, you know, that those funds don't actually have to be the actual proceeds from that sale. We can actually just use that as an opportunity to um withdraw money and recontribute it as long as we meet those downsides of contribution rules. So that can also be a really good strategy opportunity. Yeah, that, that downsizer one is interesting, isn't it? So, I mean, the rule's quite clear. You don't actually need to downsize or, you know, reduce the size or the value of your home. You could actually be, you know, selling a 
I don't know, an $800,000 apartment with the intention of going and buying an $800,000 apartment, but those downsizer rules would potentially allow you to pull money out of super and then put it back in as a downsizer contribution. So, yeah, you don't normally think about downsizer in the context of recontributions, but it's certainly an interesting little strategy option that's available to people. So I, I think I've probably talked a little bit about it already, but um, so, Tim, what is a recontribution strategy and why do we use it? Yeah, so in a nutshell, it's just it just involves um, we're eligible cashing out lump sum super benefits and they may consist of partly or fully taxable component, ideally as much taxable component as possible, and then recontributing those amounts as non-concessional contributions potentially to the member's account or their spouse's account. Um, mm-hmm. And, of course, those non-concessional contributions will form uh, go in as, as part of the tax-free component. Um, and as well as moving, you know, essentially moving some taxable component to tax-free component as a result of that strategy, it can also be used um, to optimise balances between members of a couple as well. Right, okay. So so thinking about that, who who are we really looking at here? So it's not clearly recontribution strategy requires a, a cash out, so it's not going to be taking into account the preservation rules available to everyone. So who are we really thinking about in terms of the recontribution strategy? Yeah, so the, the first step, as you mentioned, is um, before we even think about suitability, it's can we actually use this strategy? So to be able to apply the strategy in the first place, the client must be able to access their super um, so they've got some unrestricted, non-preserved already, or more commonly, they will meet have to be able to meet a full condition of release. So, you know, permanent retirement after preservation age, ceasing employment after 60 or reaching age 65. And then mm-hmm. secondly, the client also has to be able to contribute to get the money back in there. Um, so, uh, for example, if they're under 67, there's no work test requirements. Mm-hmm. But from 67 to 74, then we're going to have to meet the work test or work test exemption. Um, in terms of, so once a client's eligible, then in terms of suitability, it could be suitable for clients wanting to um, maximise tax on future lump sum death benefits where they're likely to be paid to non-tax dependent beneficiaries, so adult mm-hmm. children, for example. Um could be suitable where clients are looking to manage total super balances or transfer balance cap balances for members of a couple. Um, so that could be cashing out from a client's account and recontributing into their spouse's account uh, and potentially maximising Centrelink entitlements overall by recontributing into the account of a younger spouse who's underage pension age. All right. So if we go through how some of those strategies actually work. So, Kim, do you want to talk us through how a recontribution strategy actually minimises tax. I mean, this is the big one. This is where you see most people doing recontribution strategies and a very, very kind of tried and tested strategy. Um, but do you just want to go through how it works? Yeah, so one of the main reasons we implement the recontribution strategy is estate planning. And we're concerned about the tax that's payable when a lump sum is paid to a tax non-dependent. And we're primarily talking about adult children there. So um, if a lump sum gets paid to an adult child on death, they pay 15% or a maximum of 15% on the taxable tax component and a maximum of 30% on the untaxed component. And they might also pay Medicare levy if it's paid directly to the beneficiary rather than through the estate. So those tax rates are 
quite high. Um, and the recontribution strategy is really effective of uh, converting those taxable components to tax-free and reducing, you know, that tax that might be payable on any lump sum death benefits. I suppose also there we used to have anti-detriment payments, didn't we? And it, there used to be this kind of trade-off about whether it was worthwhile doing a a recontribution strategy if the surviving spouse was still around because they'd get an anti-detriment uplift and there was always this kind of trade-off to decide what was better. But really important to understand, anti-detriments have no longer been available for anyone passing away or the death benefit, you don't apply it to anyone passing away on or after the 1st of July 2017. So we don't really need to worry about that anymore. It's just if you want to do an anti-detriment, sorry, recontribution strategy, um, even if the spouse is still alive, you just go and do it. You don't need to worry about that. Um, also, in terms of managing total super balance and transfer balance cap, so Tim, do you want to run us through how recontribution strategies work here? Yeah, so the, the recontribution strategy between spouses, um, so just to indicate what that would involve, it would be one member of the couple cashing out, but then either their spouse makes a non-concessional contribution or the member who's cashed out makes a spouse contribution into their spouse's account. And there's two two main reasons that that could provide a benefit. So firstly, it would allow the member who's cashing out and recontributing into their spouse's account to reduce that original member's total super balance below certain thresholds um, and make them eligible in the future for other concessions. So the ability to make non-concessional contributions uh, in the future, for example. And the other big one is uh, the equalisation of balances via that strategy um, for transfer balance cap purposes. And so that w- allowing spouses to equalise balances, um, including via recontribution, can mean um, more in retirement phase income streams in the future overall for both members of a couple. Yeah, I can imagine that would be really important. If you imagine if you get a couple to retirement and one of them's got the vast majority of super, like over and above the transfer balance cap, and they're leaving money sitting in accumulation phase that could otherwise be in the retirement phase if they are in, um, you know, if they were spread equally between the two of the couple. Yeah. Then it's, yeah, it's an individual cap, the transfer balance cap. So equalising balance is very important to making sure both members of a couple get as much as possible into retirement phase. Okay. Now Centrelink, Kimberly. Yes. Being our Centrelink guru. Um, how does a recontribution strategy assist with Centrelink? Yeah, well, it's um, if you happen to have a partner who is underage pension age, of course, our fabulous strategy of putting money in their name in accumulation phase, it's exempt until they reach age pension age. So the recontribution strategy can be used to withdraw money from the older partner's super account and to contribute it to the younger spouse's superannuation account and therefore it's exempt for age pension asset and income tests and um, can be very effective at maximising age pension. Now, I don't need to worry about the gifting rules? You don't. There's no gifting between members of a couple. We've been asked that one many times over the years and it's (laughs) definitely not a thing. (laughs) No, it's the the, the couple is the economic unit, so you, you can't deprive yourself from just moving assets within the economic unit, yeah. Okay, now... Implementing a recontribution strategy. So there's a number of steps involved here. So, Tim, can you run us through some of these steps? So, you know, 
I sure. mentioned the first one is have we satisfied a condition of release? Exactly. So step one, can we get the money out of super? So client needs to already have unrestricted non-preserved or be able to meet a full condition of release, retirement, age 65, for example. Mm-hmm. Step two is how much is going to be withdrawn under this strategy? And for the majority of people implementing a recontribution strategy, assuming we're talking about a tax super fund here, it'll be clients age 60 or over, withdrawals are all tax-free. And so really the withdrawal amount is going to be based on how much we're going to recontribute. So it might be mm-hmm. $330,000 under the Bring Forward rule, um, as an example. If for clients uh, considering this, if they've reached preservation age but they're under 60, um, it's different for them as well as considering how much they want to contribute because taxable component for them is actually assessable income but they've got a, a low rate cap, which is currently $225,000 of taxable component that is actually withdrawn tax-free. So uh, ensuring that any withdrawal has a level of taxable component which doesn't exceed that 225000 low rate cap is, is going to be very important because you don't want to be paying tax as part of the withdrawal mm. of, of the recontribution strategy. And, and it's really important to keep in mind that unlike for over 60s where the withdrawals are just not included in their income at all, um, that taxable component, including the amount that's within the low rate cap and is tax-free, is still assessable income. So that could impact on that client's eligibility for a range of benefits and concessions that are based on assessable or taxable income. Um, now, I won't go through the whole list of the ones that might be impacted. We do have a, a recontribution article that's available that will list all of those, but it could include things like family tax benefit, the government co-contribution, uh, LITO and LAMITO, and Commonwealth Seniors Health Card. Yeah. And, and then probably the final step is the recontribution itself. Uh, and and the final point that I wanted to, to make there is potentially – um, recontribution strategies are done in a way that uh, the recontribution goes into a separate superannuation interest, and that can mm-hmm. be important for dual pension strategies. Um, now, we're not going to talk in great detail about that, but the, the only point I wanted to make was getting that order of things correct can be very important where a client has a self-managed super fund. And so in our article on recontribution strategies, we will mention where to go for further information about that. Yeah, because that, that's quite important. So if you're wanting to do a, a dual pension strategy, if, you, if you're putting the, taking the money out and putting it back in, then it all goes back together. You can't separate it out. Yep. Whereas if you start a pension before, yeah. If you want to know more about that, we've certainly got articles or give us a call. Um, just to comment around the like the tax-free within the low-rate cap. So you say that it's it's included in accessible income, but it's tax-free. I suppose just important to call out the way that that works is just that there's a rebate that applies to reduce the tax back to what it should be, in this case, zero. So even though it's included in accessible income, that's how you get the tax-free treatment of it because it's yeah, a rebate. Yeah, it's, it's prob- probably more, more correct for me to say, for me to have said that the tax rate applied to it is zero. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, now on the contribution side, so, Kim, what do we need to think about here? Uh, well, I guess, first of all, are we eligible to make a contribution? Um, does the work test apply? So, um, as we mentioned before, they've just increased the age where the work test applies. So, um, 
Previously, it applied when you were 65. If you made a contribution after your 65th birthday, you had to meet the work test. Now it only applies once you're 67. So um, that gives us a bit more time where we can make contributions without having to meet the work test. And actually they've they've proposed extending it even further, haven't they, in the recent mm. budget. They, um, they said for non-concessional and for salary sacrifice contributions, they might um, even get rid of that work test up until age 74, not personal deductible, but... But, um, for non-concessional and, and salary sacrifice. So if that comes in, it's expected to come in from 1 July 22. So that will, you know, give us even further opportunities um, to be able to yeah. make those contributions. Now, before anyone asks, we haven't seen any draft yeah. bills or any bills, so we're still waiting for that those proposals to be introduced into Parliament. So, um, yeah, nothing there. What about um, the non-concessional cap? I suppose that would be important. Yeah, so um, this year we've had some increases, haven't we? It's now 110,000 is the standard non-concessional cap and we can bring forward up to um, 330,000 under the bring forward rules. So that just gives us the ability to to contribute a bit more under those um, non-concessional cap rules. And how, how could we combine it with a downsizer? Yeah, so um, as we mentioned, like if, we could actually get quite a bit of money into superannuation now if we do a combination of downsizer contributions and non-concessional contributions under the bring forward. Um, I mean, you can contribute 300000 under downsizer, can't you? So if you've got a couple, that's 600000 um, mm-hmm. And then under the non-concessional bring forward rules, you can do 330000 um, for each member of a couple, assuming they meet all the eligibility criteria. So altogether, that's um, one point. In one year, if you wanted to combine it with that, you know, that 100 and then, well, it's 110, 330, um, you could potentially get more. But just to keep it nice and simple, I think it's just nice and easy to say 1.26 million in one year. Um, because, yeah, as you say, up to $300,000 proceeds from the sale of the family home, and that goes for each member of the couple, and then they both cash out, recontribute their non-concessionals as well. So, yeah, $1.26 million, so really quite significant. Um, I would imagine, though, that we've got to worry about the preservation rules there, though, don't we? Yeah, that's right. I mean, if we're looking at um, somebody over age 65, then generally speaking, you know, they meet the the, um, condition of release of... Um, reaching age 65 but if they're under 65 then yeah that's definitely something to look out for is that um, contributed amounts are preserved until they meet a condition of release so um, generally speaking they have to meet that retirement condition of release to be able to access those monies again so preservation is definitely something to consider. Um, There's also you know some superannuation funds may um, have more stricter preservation requirements so they might preserve monies um, just under the rules of the fund Um, and also if you're looking at somebody who's meeting the permanent incapacity condition of release um, if they are pulling money out and putting it back in again um, they need might require new medical certificates to be satisfied to actually meet that condition of release Um, there's a few different things to think about yeah. Now, we talked just previously about the budget proposals. There's also a budget proposal here for the downsizer contributions to the lower the age back to age 60. So I, I would imagine that's going to be really important as well. If you're selling the home, taking $300,000 worth of money out of super and then putting it back in as a recontribution, you, you, 
you have to think there that you've got to have met a condition of release to begin with, right? So I suppose that's all right. If I'm just downsize a contribution, I'm just now contributing the proceeds, then I do need to also think about the fact that they're going to be preserved. So I've got access to them because I've just sold the home, um, but they go into super, they're going to be preserved potentially until I get up to age 65 or earlier if I retire. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. In terms of recontribution strategy, now, clearly, Tim, we're getting some benefits out of these and a lot of these are tax benefits. So, you know, is part 4A an issue here? So is the, is the ATO going to get annoyed with us if we start doing recontribution strategies? Well, we, we actually haven't heard anything from the ATO specifically about this for many years. Um, so I think it was back in 2004, the ATO had a media release um, and the tax commissioner said that they've examined a, a number of strategies and that they said won't attract the general, the Part 4A anti-avoidance provisions. Um, and they said that'll apply where someone withdraws from their super fund and recontributes the same or a similar amount shortly after to either their same fund or a spouse's fund for the purpose of commencing a super pension. Um, and there the effect of the strategy was to reduce the assessable portion of the annual pension over the person's retirement years. And the second one was where um, a person makes a large, back then it was an undeducted contribution to their super fund before they receive uh, an, empl- um, an eligible termination payment. And again, the effect is to, re- to reduce the amount of tax payable on the ETP. The old undeducted contribution. Yeah. Been a while. Been a while. Now, the thing here, though, I suppose, is that all of that was put out in a media release back in August 2004. So for us to rely on this, where one media release is not a it's not a binding, it's not a binding ruling. It's not binding on the exactly. ATO. Yep. And it's now made what 15, 16, 17 years ago. Is there anything more recent that we can go on? Yeah, so so slightly more recently, um, in 2007, what's now the Financial Services Council sought further clarification from the ATO on whether Part 4A would apply to cash out and recontribution strategies for people age 60 or over. And that was more specifically about um, the tax treatment of death benefits. And the ATO um, in June 2007 in the uh, NTLG Super Technical Subcommittee, they said that it was, the ATO said it's unlikely that they would apply Part 4A to that sort of recontribution arrangement, given that a key policy thrust of the simpler super changes in 2007 were to provide individuals with more concessions and more flexibility to manage their super in retirement. Um, but they, they did make clear then that they, you can't really have a definitive view on the application of Part 4A to a recontribution arrangement that it would need to apply on a case-by-case basis, having regard to those specific facts. Right. Okay. All right. So that's important. I suppose also considering if you're doing a you know very bog standard type of recontribution strategy, considering it's been implemented by industry for a very long time now and the ATO hasn't raised any concerns, if they were to change their tune, it would really be incumbent on them to get out into the market and tell you know, the industry that, no, 
while that worked for all of these years, from this point onwards, no go, we, we're going to start attacking it. So the simple fact that they haven't done that, I think, is also confirmation that, you know, a bog standard, you know, non-controversial, non-pushing any really weird and wonderful strategies um, that could potentially result in some sort of you know, tax benefit not in accord with what they've outlined. Um, so you keep it simple, part for I shouldn't apply. Is that that's essentially what they're saying? Yeah, I think I, I'd take that view. And if there is other things, more fantastic things being done as part of the strategy, that's where the risk would increase. Um, and certainly we'd recommend seeking a private ruling in those sort of circumstances. All right, terrific. Okay, I think that does it, guys. Thanks. Thanks, Lloyd. Thank you. See you, everyone. Thanks for listening to the First Tech Podcast. Please remember, these podcasts are designed for authorised financial advisors. If you're not an authorised financial advisor, you need to remember that any scenarios considered during this podcast were for purely hypothetical and illustrative purposes only and do not constitute a recommendation to purchase, hold or sell any financial products or take any other course of action. And finally, you should read the relevant product disclosure statement before making any investment decision and once again consider talking to a financial advisor. While all care has been taken in preparation of this podcast using sources we believe to be reliable and accurate, no person including Colonial First Aid Investments Limited or Commonwealth Bank Group of Companies accepts responsibility for any loss suffered by any person arising from reliance on this information.